Today's episode features Melinda Wisdom, who played with me in the California Youth Symphony when we were high schoolers. I am so, so excited to share this interview with you as she is my first female brass guest on this podcast, and we get into it. We start off by going through her musical timeline that consisted of constantly being put in her place and taken advantage of as a female trombonist, and her more recent process of healing her relationship with music. I also pull from a paper I wrote in college about brass sections being environments where masculinity contest cultures emerge, and how both men and women end up suffering. We also bring up the complexities that come with pursuing something that is considered to be traditionally masculine, and how it's led to the realization that we need to unpack and dispose of our internalized sexism. We touch on the importance of representation in classical music, establishing support systems, and holding our male allies and peers accountable for their actions. We end on the idea of how owning your individuality when you perform with your own unique interpretations can make performance seem more palatable. So first of all, so, so excited that we have our first female brass player um, guest on this podcast. Are you down to just introduce yourself and say hi? Yeah, thank you. Um, Hello, my name is Melinda Wisdom. Uh, I use she, her, and I am a fifth year in Oberlin's uh, double degree Bachelor of Art Bachelor of Music program, and I play the trombone. Um, And Yael and I met in youth orchestra. (laughs) Way, way back, junior (laughs) year of high school. Oh yeah. Crazy, we will get into it. Are you down to kind of walk us through um, the beginnings of like your musical journey through kind of now? Like give us a timeline. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from Saratoga, California, and um, I started playing music in the like elementary school band and orchestra programs. So when I was in fourth grade, I started playing the cello in the school orchestra. And when I was in fifth grade, I started playing euphonium in the school band. Um, which was really fun, and I got to do both of those all throughout middle school. And then, um, and I actually just saw all three of those teachers, like my elementary school um, orchestra conductor, my middle school orchestra conductor, and my middle school band conductor when I was home for spring break. Like, they're still very important people in my life, and like, I just have so much admiration for those beginning music teachers. Like, they have so much, but anyway, absolutely love them. And um, when I was in eighth grade, I wanted to play in the school jazz band too. So I was like, yeah, I'll learn the trombone. And I totally loved it because it was like a lot more versatile than the euphonium. I could play it in jazz band. I could play it when we did like orchestra and band. It was my first experience in kind of like a symphony setting. I mean, symphony Mm. light, but you know, there's no euphoniums in that too, for the most part. So I the trombone there and I was like, wow, I really love this. And then when I went to high school, at the Harker School in San Jose, they had an orchestra and jazz band. There was no like band, like symphonic band. So the conductor, I was like, I play the cello and I like just started playing the trombone like last year. And he was like, you should definitely play the trombone. And so I did and I absolutely fell in love with music. I would say like playing trombone in that orchestra, I absolutely loved it. And then that conductor, he recommended a private teacher to me and that's where I started taking trombone lessons from shout out Tom Hornig at SJSU oh yeah and also um, my high school conductor introduced me to our youth orchestra conductor yep um and that's where I started playing in California Youth Symphony I was in the 
associate orchestra my sophomore year and the senior orchestra with you junior year. Oh yeah. Uh, and then I went to Oberlin for college to do their double degree program. And yeah, five years later, did my senior recital like two months ago. Crazy. And yeah, time flies. <laughs> well, okay, so first of all, I want to get into all of that. And just immediately, like I totally resonate with the idea of trombone being so versatile. Cause I feel like same thing with trumpet, yeah. like, we're going to be, I guess, kind of leaving out our euphonium and French horn friends quite a bit today. We're going to be leaving them out and like, I'm sure they're going to have beef, but it's fine. But even French horn is way more versatile than euphonium. Yeah. Euphonium for all the listeners out there who don't know, euphonium is, um, (laughs) (laughs) it's, uh, you can hear it in a wind band and that's about it. So it's kind of brutal. And it's like special celebrity guest appearance in like a couple of symphonic pieces right right right. or like pictures at an exhibition there's the big euphonium solo but most of the time the trombone player is expected to just be able to double and like whip out a euphonium and play it like they often won't bring in a specialist so it's not the most lucrative career path but i commend all of you for (laughs) pursuing it and french horn too like they they're kind of limited as well like they're absolute kings and queens of the orchestra which i think i learned when we joined cys i was like oh my god like the french horn parts are unbelievable but and in band too they have good parts but like they don't really have a place in jazz band yeah we had a french horn player who tried to join the jazz band in high school and it did not go the best and in pit orchestra too it's like pretty limited like only some books and like really old books will have a french horn part but trumpet and trombone like you always need it Well, okay, so my preamble is that I love trombone players. Trombone players have always been, since I joined CYS and it was my first real orchestra experience, I'm like, oh, these are my favorite people in the orchestra. I think the best instrument stereotype of being like really chill and fun and a good hang, I I mean, it's, it's the best. And I think especially like female trombone players, like I have a disproportionate amount of female trombone player friends. And with that, why the trombone? You know, I actually taking this like creative writing class right now, which I never have before. And I kind of wrote this essay that helped me kind of understand like why I loved the trombone so much at first. And I basically talked about like, you know, I remember being a little kid and like, you know, hashtag like gay awakening. But I remember like friends of boys and being like, I, you know, not really understanding why there were different expectations of us and like, a lot of times being like, oh, I, you know, I wish I was a boy. Yeah. And I think like plenty of girls feel that way mm-hmm. and probably plenty of boys too. Um, but, you know, in class it was like, ex- I was expected to be quiet and like respectful and, you know, all these things that like have good connotations, but like boys had much more permission to be funny and like loud and yeah. voice and like all things that I really enjoyed being. And, you know, when I first played the trombone and the euphonium too, like being in band, I was like, this is where I get to like feel that power. First time I really tasted it and trombone, especially something about it just really made me feel powerful. And, um, you know, getting to play really loudly in jazz band and then especially in orchestra. Cause the thing about trombone and orchestra is it's like 90% waiting and 10% like absolute glorious, like yeah. most important part. It's super, super fun. And I really felt so powerful when I was playing that trombone. And I think that's why I loved it so much. It's kind of a kind of a power trip, but also kind of like power that I didn't necessarily have access to in different parts of my life. I love that. 
Yeah, it was pretty similar for me. I was a huge tomboy growing up. I like wore my brother's clothes. Um, I would like steal his basketball shorts Mm -hmm. and all my friends were guys and I would just like be running around playing basketball all day every day. And I also like it was a pretty conscious decision to play a really loud, masculine, obnoxious instrument. It's interesting now because I think I've mostly grown out of that. Um, I'm less of a tomboy than I used to be. I still have some frat boy tendencies, personality traits in me. <laughs> um, but it's interesting now. And like, it's, and you're kind of stuck with it. And I think a lot of things I'm still, I still resonate to. I love attention and being loud and having that power, especially the co-ed nature. I actually, there are some things that I really enjoy about it because I honestly love beating guys at their own game while playing the same game. It's very different than when I played basketball and there was like a boys team and a girls team. And they're like, oh, like you're good for a girl or like you just play with the girls and whatever. But when you're all in the same room doing the same exact thing um, and you're beating the boys, it's it's really empowering as well. I will say though, the like conclusion to this essay I wrote was basically like the power I felt, you know, like I felt it like it was something that was inside of me, but it wasn't something that the people around me necessarily gave to me. Mm. Like, I was the only one that saw it in myself, if that makes sense. Like, I was still growing up in these systems, yep. like, super male-dominated, and kind of having that realization in college, like, oh, you know, like, no matter what I do, like, this is still the reality of the system. I don't necessarily have that power. I just got to taste it for a second. So I wrote a paper, my senior year for an organizational psych class and I just decided to tie in trumpet into it because why not Mm -hmm. and I basically was talking about how the trumpet world is riddled with toxic masculinity and I'm gonna extend this to low brass and probably leave French horn out of this um, because they have a much better gender split relatively but when I have a French horn player on this podcast we will unpack their dynamics and I'm sure they will have feelings about being left out of this but I digress Basically, my paper brings up how like our society has all sorts of masculinity contest cultures, like sports and politics. And I basically argue in this paper that trumpet and then also low brass sections are also these shitty boys clubs. Um, and for starters, like trumpet and trombone, I found the actual stat, um, which unfortunately wasn't very surprising, but of like American professional symphonies, they are 97% male, which is wild. Uh, but pushing beyond like the stat and how awful it is, it's the traits of a masculinity contest culture that are prevalent and kind of like push that from just the stat to something more. So basically, like the definition of a masculinity contest culture is that it's an environment where men are competing over resources, more specifically like physical strength and stamina, social influence, money. Um, and these masculinity contests more often take places place in fields with hierarchical structures. Um, since they kind of create these contests where people are trying to rise through their ranks and unseat those of higher rank. And then also another attribute is this like prevalence of a high risk of failure, where one feels the prospect of potentially feeling like rejected or disgraceful if they fail. Lots of bad stuff comes out of these cultures, like toxic leadership, bullying, harassment, and basically everyone suffers, men and women. And it can lead to burnout, low organizational dedication, lower well-being, all kind of shitty stuff. And then basically to tie it all together, this sounds like our lives in the brass section. And 
maybe it's less obvious than other activities for non-musicians out there, people not in the brass section out there, but first of all, like playing a brass instrument is a physical feat. We use so much breath control and air and lip muscle, and we need so much coordination. We also play very loud instruments where any individual can be heard really easily. So I think it is a high risk position um, when you can constantly feel like I'm going to mess up and like everyone in the audience and the orchestra is going to hear me and I'm going to be like shamed and feel awful. Um, and there's a thousand percent a hierarchical structure on top of all of that because trombone and trumpet sections have about three people each and everyone's playing one on a part for second and third. And in terms of monetary reward, the pay structure is dependent on your seating position. So the player who plays this first part gets paid significantly more than their section mates who play supporting roles. So that can also create a cutthroat environment where section players feel the need to challenge and overthrow like the leader for prestige or money. And then on top of all of that, the roles that our instruments play in the orchestra of sounding very bold and brash and heroic and loud tend to attract personalities that are confident, competitive, attention-seeking, loud, athletic, and ambitious. So that's kind of like my rant slash like setup, especially to non-brass players out there to kind of set it all up. But these kinds of people that it's attracting to begin with are exactly the kinds of people who would create and uphold this kind of masculinity contest culture. So that was my little lecture. Um, do you have reactions, thoughts? Oh my God. I mean, I think it's beautifully written and I feel like you know, I, like, mm, resonates just so much. <laughs> Snaps, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am, um, a couple weeks ago, there's uh, four women, including me, in my trombone studio, and the four of us hung out and got coffee. And, uh, like, last week, and I was like, you know, we, we were just chatting about whatever at first, and then we spent the whole time just pretty much talking about that, like, you know, connecting with each other about, like, kind of the struggles of just being woman in the department which is hard but i'm glad at least like i'm not the only one you know what i mean yeah totally it's i think the university systems at least a lot of them are more diverse than 97 percent. yeah for sure but the paper that i just wrote also like emphasized that it's not just about the stat being really fucked up it's also about like the culture yeah and I, for me like you know i was always kind of confused by it because in you know, elementary school, middle school, and high school, like, I didn't, I kind of lived in a bubble. I mean, I think Silicon Valley is a bubble in a lot of ways, yeah. and I didn't really experience that for a long time. And for me, I was like, how does it go from this where, you know, like, I'll be in band, and it's pretty much equal. Like, how does it go from that to professional orchestras? And I feel like at the college level, a lot of people get weeded out either yeah. by, like, not making the auditions or just, like, dealing with this culture and then for me just wanting to quit and I think that's what happens to a lot of people yeah and it's also I don't know if you resonate with this but like I was a again like a huge tomboy wanted to play this really like fun loud instrument and then I think only more recently I've kind of thought about like how fucked up that is and like how much internalized sexism that also comes with um and it's like yeah I mean it, it, with sports like basketball was like my first love really and why did I not watch women's sports growing up and like I love the trumpet I know a lot of trumpet players like you know I'm in the scene and I'm like why do I not know any female trumpet players yep why have I only had male trumpet mentors and idols and on one hand can I barely name five female trumpet players that aren't me um and none of them have 
professional symphony jobs. They're all either teachers or soloists in Europe, which again is amazing, but I'm like, why is there no one like me out there? Um, which I think speaks to like the industry being having a lot of work to do and also me personally not seeking out people who are like me. Oh my God. I mean, I remember several years ago, just I think more people on the internet kind of talking about internalized misogyny and, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely blowing my mind both on just like a surface level context and especially in the trombone context because, you know, I was literally seeking out that power to feel more like a boy. Yeah. You want to feel more like a boy, but people are also telling you like, oh, like you're too weak to play this or like just have a bigger sound or whatever. It's like you wanting to break free and people putting you in your place over and over again. Yeah. I remember, um, I mean, I absolutely loved our youth orchestra and it was one of my favorite things that I did in high school and obviously still keep in touch with you and, and like a lot of our friends from there. Yep. And, um, but our senior year, that was kind of the first time I like realized that this was like a thing, especially among older people, mm-hmm. because we did our seating audition and I didn't get the principal chair and you know, the, that's like whatever. But I emailed our conductor and I was like, hey, I really want to audition for music school this year and I would love to hear your feedback on my audition. And I like asked for specific feedback about my playing. And the response I got was like, so-and-so who's the principal, he just is a big, big and strong player and you're not. And I was like, that's not feedback on my playing, right? Uh, and also I was like, I don't think that's true. And so yeah. we were all shocked. We saw the results and we were like, what is happening? And we um, actually had the same trombone teacher and he was also shocked. He was like, I would have expected the opposite. And not to like, you know, this guy who was principal, he was perfectly nice. Um, but I found out like years later that basically he was going through a hard time at school and his parents mm-hmm. had reached out to the conductors and said like, this would mean a lot to him. But like, you know, four years and I was just like, you know, I was lied to. And like, I understand he was having a rough time, but I wish I had just been told the truth because for a long time, I just kind of like internalized that. And that's also been a theme is like, I feel like, you know, there's a fucked up system and women often take a lot of the blame for that because Mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, it's easier to just tell Melinda, like, she's not as good. And then she just believes that, you know what I mean? Yep. She'll just shut up and it's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, God, one of the first times I experienced that because I was like, you know, first of all, it's not true that I'm not a loud player. Yeah. And second of all, like I asked for specific feedback on like how I played that day. Not like, you know, you are not big and strong. It, It felt very gendered to me. Totally. And you are such a leader, too, and, like, such a force in that orchestra, in that brass section. And also, we're just, like, we all knew that, aside from you probably being a better player and all these things, you were also just a much more serious and dedicated member of that orchestra and player. And it was just, yeah, it's sad how much we can internalize things said by people. Yeah, our conductor, he's, like, such a great guy. Like, we love him. Love him. He had to hire people to play principal part along with the guy who was principal. oh my god i forgot like i forgot college people and i was like i could have played this part i came to all the rehearsals yeah so for petrushka right yep we were playing petrushka and he couldn't handle the first part because it's a beast of a part but also it's like give it to the person who can do it you don't like hire if you have to hire in ringers like 
that's not great. But yeah, definitely an example of like even the good kind of mentors and conductors and people out there, they still can make mistakes and they can still fuck up people in their own special way. Yeah. Yeah. And then I know also in college, like shitty sexist teachers, not super safe and friendly environments in studio at times. I don't know if you're down to talk about any of that in any capacity. Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, I'll say like the um, FTND, the female trans non-binary brass mm-hmm. group on Facebook is really, I don't know if you're a part of it, but it's like no. a course for a lot of people talking about their story. I've found a lot of like community in there. You know, cool. like I'd love to find pieces written by women or like a lot of people sharing their experience kind of similar to mine. And I actually had a friend who's a trumpet player who like made a joke that it's funny, but it's also like kind of fucked up. And she's like, yeah, I had a shitty experience with a sexist teacher in college, but like I wasn't sexually assaulted. So it's like, no, it's fine. <laughs> so, so like pretty much in comparison, she was like, God. I don't really want to write about it in the Facebook group because it's like every, like a lot of people had it so much worse, which like was really terrible, but just like very briefly again, with like the whole blame thing when I was a freshman in college, I was 18. Um, we had a master's student who was 30 who sexually assaulted me. And I didn't tell people for a while because I was like, I don't really know how to deal with this. I told a friend who was a fellow woman in the studio and she was like, I don't know how to help you because you know, this guy, he was taking auditions at lots of places, uh, lots of like big orchestras. And he, he was very talented and he had a lot of power and she didn't know how to help me. And I was yeah. really young and I didn't really understand that it was not my fault because for a long time I was like, I feel out of place. I don't know, you know, what to do. But basically my, the next year, my sophomore year, there was another girl who was a brass player and she was just, we were just kind of talking casually. And she was like, this guy, the same like 30 year old guy, he's being like kind of like weirdly flirtatious with me. And I was like, I would advise you to stay away from him because of this, that, and the other thing. And um, she, really well-intentioned, told my professor at the time, who has since left Oberlin, but, and he basically like called me into his office and he was like, hey, so-and-so told me something that I know is not true. And that was at the time for the rest of the year. Like he, it was, it was a year before he left, but it was like very hard because he did not believe me. And he like gaslit me for the whole year. And I was really hard to unlearn. And um, I, it definitely felt like a punishment because I, stopped getting parts in orchestra like the last orchestra cycle that he was there we played shasti seven which has six trombone parts and there were plenty of parts to go around and a couple people in my studio were in more than one piece and i was the only person in the studio who didn't have part and i was like i literally feel like you know my education is being taken away from me yeah it was really hard and he left and things got a lot better also that student left because he had finished his two-year program but yeah it was a hard first two years um it was like you know my teacher didn't believe me and that obviously had a huge impact on my lessons um so I would just <laughs> like yeah the whole time I was like just trying to make it through and I really didn't comprehend everything that was happening at the time I was like you know I started to believe my teacher like this was my fault and um yeah it was really hard and I didn't 
find a lot of sympathy in the brass department, even among like the women that I did tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember having a conversation with that same first friend who really did take care of me in a lot of ways. And she supported me and she was a good friend. But we had this conversation and she like has had a lot of success in the brass world. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was kind of like, I know that this is the system that exists, but like, you know, it's really important to me to play and like, I'll put up with whatever it takes. And I was like, I don't think I can do that. And that was the first time I kind of realized like, this is not what I want to do for a living. And, you know, in high school, I mean, I'm sure you remember you and I were pretty much just as fiery as each other. And I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like, you know, the best trombonist in the world. That was like my, my goal. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I was kind of like, you know, I don't want to be a part of this. And, you know, I think it's really great that my friend, I really do believe in her. And I think she will be that role model that people have mm-hmm. of like wonderful female brass player. Um, and she's so talented. And that is her part in changing the system. But for me, like my part is like leaving, you know, like and I'm really proud of myself for having stuck it out and finishing this degree, which I, I'm about to graduate, but I finished all my music requirements. And yeah, it was very isolating. And I will say, I guess one of the silver linings of the pandemic was that I did not have to play as much. So I had a lot mm-hmm. of time to reflect, just kind of think about everything. And having a new teacher definitely helped a lot with making peace with the whole situation. But yeah, it was challenging and I know that I don't want to like play professionally in my life but I do have some interest in like being that person in elementary school and middle school who maybe like helps out with the brass section I don't know if I want to be a director full-time but like that is part of the reason I like reached out to those teachers that I talked about in the beginning was just because like I admire them so much and I think it's really important to inspire like young girls at that level and that's something I'd be interested in doing like I used to be like I'm gonna sell my trombone as soon as I graduate, but I don't feel like that anymore. I still do like have a lot of love for music and for the instrument. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. Damn, okay. Well, first of all, like I'm so sorry you went through all of that because that's just, it's a lot. And I remember when I heard of it for the first time, I was just like, oh my God, this is, it's heavy. And I was really lucky to not have experienced most of what you have um, until this year on tour. And this year on tour has been really hard and dealing with, um, yeah, shitty men, like experiencing sexual harassment in the workplace, all these things. And I also kind of feeling like scared of, am I going to be punished? I'm really scared of like causing conflict. And yeah, this this is when it's really shitty to be a woman in this society because they're like, oh, like she won't do anything. And if she does, like she's not going to feel good about it or maybe she'll be punished or whatever. And it's it's really hard. Um, But yeah, I think, well, first of all, it's a thousand percent fine and good and valid to realize that you don't want to pursue a trombone performance. And it's also really good to see that there's like more closure than I think there was last time we talked about this, because I think it was so heartbreaking. Even seeing you like when we were counselors together at CYS camp the first time, you were like, I am so over the trombone. I can't wait to sell this thing. Like, fuck this. Um, and that's heartbreaking, especially like knowing you in high school and knowing like how pure that love was for the trombone Yeah. and kind of made me happy. I didn't go to conservatory because I think I feel like I dodged a lot of the 
really hard, awful parts that I probably would have experienced had I been in the studio as one of the only girls. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's just hard to see that, like, bad personal experiences largely turned you off. And it does seem, though, that you have found some healing. Um, I'm wondering also, like, did your senior recital provide any closure as well? Yeah, I mean, it was... um... It was a little bit stressful. Like I hadn't done a performance like that in a long time. My mm-hmm. junior recital was before the pandemic. It was almost exactly two years before, um, just because I'm in a five-year program. So I did my senior recital my fifth year. And it was really nice to have my family there, but the circumstances were kind of weird. I was going to do my recital in January, and then my pianist got COVID like the week of, so I yes. had to postpone it. So that just felt like a little haphazard. Yeah. But um, I did love the pieces I played. But yeah, I feel like the realization I had doing that recital was like at Overland, I feel like I've really loved, I've learned to love the rehearsal process and like, you know, being with my friends and making yeah. music and the performance part, I don't love as much, but yeah, it was nice to like, to do that, um, you know, get to thank all the people that I wanted to thank. Yeah. And then when it was over, I was like, wow, I, I can't believe I did that. Yeah, I mean, it's such a feat for a brass player to put on a recital because, like... Not meant to do that. I Yeah, it's not natural. <laughs> like, I play for five minutes nonstop and I'm winded. So, yeah, definitely not used to it. Like, I can play through the whole two hours and 45 minutes of Tootsie and feel fine. But if you ask me to read down a Charlie etude, I'm going to have to take breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like also that you found, like, some closure, even, like, in a creative writing class. And, like, I also... I know, like, how much... Um, you also loved like music theory and kind of found that like there are parts of music that you connect to yeah outside of performance which is great yeah I've found I think a com- it was a combination of like pandemic teaching me these lessons and also just kind of healing but um, I found that for me I especially in a conservatory setting had strived to do trombone well not necessarily do trombone like to make me happy Mm. And so I started um, trying to really intentionally do things that I was not very good at to kind of feel like a beginner and just to like relish in the joy of it. Like, so I started taking classical guitar lessons. Like, and I know you you feel this way about the piano. And I started taking voice lessons too. And now I sing oh, wow. three different choirs. Just oh my God, I didn't know that. Yeah, I sing in um, a Renaissance choir, a church choir, and an acapella group. And uh, Oh my God. No, I love that. It's really all about that beginner's mind vibe, which like people from Columbia will laugh at because like our dean of the college like every year his speech would like always talk about beginner's mind but like he was so right it's it's feeling like a beginner especially i think when you do something so specialized where you just feel like you're banging your head against a wall yeah for marginal improvement that you're not even gonna often even hear and might take like months and i remember (laughs) my teacher a couple years ago in new york was like yeah like if you want to take that step to the next level like it's probably going to involve doing like three hours a day of long tones and i was like not interested right like what? I just don't find being in a practice room by myself to be that fulfilling. Yeah, um, I think we're both similar in that it's the community <laughs> building is so huge. Like, because there's nothing more fun than sitting in a giant orchestra and joking around with your buddies in the brass section and hanging out and just like making huge, beautiful music together. But yeah, I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm not interested in spending all my time in the practice room. Yeah, and I think piano for me as well, like mental health was in a really bad place and it just was 
mood pickup as well, where I played a scale and I was thrilled. And I'm like, when is the last time I was excited about playing a scale? Exactly. I mean, I don't know if you feel this way, but I assume so. Because, like, you know, there is still that, like, huge love for music. Getting to connect with it in a new and exciting way has just been so important for me. So that's like singing, playing guitar. Yeah, keeps it fresh. Keeps it yeah. fresh and you and you still have that musical, like, love and knowledge that also helps you get better faster, which is also very exciting because you're, like, every step just feels really big and really new. And when um, you are a beginner, you improve more quickly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, yeah, especially when you're like 10,000 hours into this other thing that you're just like, God. yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I've re- I really miss the piano. I can't really play on tour much because I don't have access to piano and I'm not about to steal a keyboard from our music director. Like, no. You should go to uh, um, and be like oh, yeah. one of our friends from Youth Orchestra. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, well, okay. I'll take a fun segue. Do you have any favorite CYS memories? Oh, my God. So many. Every time we went to camp, our youth orchestra has, like, an annual retreat at the end of the summer in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and it's just, like, the most beautiful place. Yep. And so many just, like, funny traditions. I absolutely loved that. I think coming back as a counselor with you, and with some of our friends was like even more meaningful to me. Totally. I mean, I feel like every year since high school, (laughs) like obviously really formative years of our lives, but I've just grown up a lot every year. And so it means more to me every year. And also just being reminded that like, we still have each other and we've been really lucky that I think a lot of us have grown in really congruent ways. Yes. So a lot of us haven't grown apart. And if anything, a lot of us have grown closer, which has been really cool. I remember, like, when we both joined, you were the only girl in the trumpet section, and I was the only girl in the trombone section. Yep. And I think, I mean, I don't remember if it was junior year or senior year when we started hanging out one-on-one. It's all a blur. Like, I remember having fun, but just every year since then, I feel like it's it's been a deeper connection. Totally. I will say, like, one of my favorite things to (laughs) say at school is um, playing Pines of Rome in Rome was definitely a highlight of my life. Unbelievable. Hang pines above a catacomb, above a catacomb. <laughs> oh my um, god. Like, I wish I was older because I feel like I didn't fully appreciate it in my yep. 17 year old brain, but wow, that was amazing. Yeah, once in a lifetime thing for sure. Well, I want to go, I have a couple fan questions that were sent in from my trombone friend. Um, because I was, I was telling her, I was like, oh, like, one of my friends from home is like this amazing person and player. Um, is being interviewed tomorrow. Do you have any questions for her? So we're going to start with the softball first, but she wanted to know what slide oil you use and or recommend. I like the Yamaha one. Okay. Um, That's definitely my go-to. Okay. Noted. Okay. (laughs) Now for like the actual question. Um, How do you feel as a woman playing an instrument that isn't seen as a feminine thing? And how does it like inform your musicality? That's a really interesting question. And um, I mean, I've met like a lot of gay female trombonists, which is kind of interesting. I think it's like that connection with that thing that's like feminine, but maybe not in a traditional sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about it all the time. I mean, I'm sure a lot of female trombonists do, mm-hmm. or just anyone that doesn't identify as a man, mm-hmm. um, because it it's always in the back of my mind, you know? And I performed this concerto on my senior recital 
And in my mind, like the story I made up to go along with it was just basically, I think each movement was a different part of my experience. The first movement, the like little process cues I wrote in were like ugly and powerful and like beautiful and how all of those things can simultaneously coexist because that's often how I felt it was kind of like not pretty, but like powerful. And over time, I've learned to connect that as more of a feminine thing. Mm-hmm. But in the I didn't really see it that way. And like, I think there's a lot to mourn when you are a woman and you play the trombone because sometimes you're asked to give up a lot to be a part of this community. I think for a long time, it was exhausting to just like play my instrument in front of people because I was like, is this an like invitation to like see me in kind of a vulnerable way? Like mm-hmm. my body performing in a vulnerable way. I hated it and it was very mentally taxing. But how do I feel about doing something that doesn't necessarily feel feminine? I think over time I have grown to see it as more of a feminine thing. Um, There's a side of the trombone that is more gentle and sweet. And um, yeah, I don't really like to like pretend like I'm a man anymore. I think in high school, that is definitely the attitude I had. Yeah, I could just double down. Yeah, I really like to connect with the younger women in my studio now as like a a senior. I think that's been a really important part for me. And I took a lesson with a female trombonist for the first time my junior year of college. So cool. And that was amazing. I mean, she's so inspiring. Brittany Lush, shout out. Yeah. (laughs) She teaches at Bowling Green. She's incredible. Wow. That also just made me feel seen in a way I never had before. Yeah. And also, like, even what you were saying about the trombone having a gentle side, it's also, again, it's like this internalized misogyny of being like, okay, well, women are also powerful, just like the trombone. It's like, I just hate that we really associate all of these, like, big, bold attributes and we just save them for men. And I think I've also kind of struggled with, like, doubling down. And I was always very confident and very outspoken. So I feel like, in some ways, that only helped me, which is also very unfair to, like, people who are shyer and have a little less edge and fire outwardly. Yeah, I was kind of like, I don't want to be good for a girl. Like, I just want to be good. And like, trumpet is super loud and you have to play high and all this stuff. Okay, I'm going to be able to play louder than anyone. I'm going to be able to play higher than anyone. And like, I don't know, I was very bold and wanted to take it head on. But also that's just like unfair that we're the ones who have to, again, deal with that. And like, we'll constantly be challenged no matter what, no matter how good we are, no matter how competent we are we will always be challenged by men around us. And like even a trumpet player that we both know and love, like I remember the first year we played together in Youth Symphony, like asked me how many liters of air my lungs could hold. And I'm like, what kind of a question is that? Um, And he like had an exact answer. He's like, well, I like went to the doctor and like, this is how big I am and how big my rib cage is. And I was like, bro, what? So it's hard to not double down, but clearly it doesn't really mean shit. Cause like, here we are. My first teacher at Oberlin, um, I remember I was working on the Mozart uh, Requiem Tuba Murum solo in my lesson, and he was like, if you breathe in the first f- phrase in a blind audition, people are going to assume you're a woman because you can't oh hold God. so air. And since like my current teacher at Oberlin, my teacher from high school, the woman I took a lesson with, they're like, people don't care. Like People breathe in that phrase all the time, you know? And just hearing that, I mean... Excerpts are so weird because everyone is so opinionated and no one has the same opinion. I just yep. like, I hate excerpts now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was total BS. And sometimes people look at you. Um, there's this thing in 
that's sort of related in neuroscience called the marimba effect, where basically it talks about the integration of your visual and audio systems and how in a marimba, the, it doesn't matter how much you, how big of a motion you use to strike the, to strike the marimba, it's going to produce the same note length no matter what. Mm. But when audiences watch someone do a small upward motion, mm -hmm. they hear it literally being like shorter than a loud one. They like hear that being longer and louder, um, even though it's the exact same, right? I have always wondered if that's the same when you look at a woman playing brass instrument, if like, mm. if your biases tell you like, I'm hearing something softer because like I had that experience in your year and I was like, I don't know if I was actually playing softer or not. And there's like, I think a lot of people who have like kind of experienced like gaslighting don't really know yeah. what's real or not. Cause I'm like, some people have told me like, you know, you're not playing loud enough when I'm the only woman in the room. And I'm like, I don't know if I believe you, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So that's been really. <laughs> that's so hard. Um, well, I was also just thinking about like the breathing thing because I'm the same way where I I breathe often but also recently I when I physically need to breathe <laughs> right I'm like I don't like feeling like I'm completely out of air because that's silly but yeah also recently it's like slight side note but I'm just realizing it's all like connected like I went to an orthodontist for the first time a couple months ago they said it looks like I have an obstructed airway through my nose and I'm like, that could also explain why, like, breathing is a thing that needs to happen more, like, often or more intentionally or whatever. And I'm like, it has nothing to do with me being a woman and being, like, weaker or having less capacity for air. But yeah, it's like another thing where it's like, oh, it must be because I'm a woman and not because of all these other factors. Ugh, hate it. Well, shifting gears a little bit, where do you think the future of classical music is going? You know, I'd like to think that people kind of talking about gender and race more critically starting like in 2020 when that really started to be more of a conversation that everyone was having I I'd like to think that that's shifting gears but I don't know it's um it's interesting because Oberlin the the music theory department has really done an incredible job of like teaching more diverse repertoire um in like the, the intro music theory sequence and that I really admire I think like I mean those professors are so brilliant one of my favorite parts about being here but for me I when I'm going to watch a classical music concert I often get way more out of it if I know the piece mm. and if I don't know the piece it's often like a little bit harder to engage like it's, sometimes it's really engaging but I saw this actually I saw this classical guitar duet called duo noir like highly recommend and they oh. do a lot of really engaging contemporary music and i was like this is one of the first times i feel really engaged by kind of contemporary classical music because i often find it to be the most inaccessible as a listener i'm like yeah. such a high barrier of entry to engage with it so incredibly high it's a little bit frightening yeah like the composers i know here are absolutely brilliant but i'm like this is this is like above my pay grade and I've been at Oberlin, which really touts a contemporary music program really highly for five years. And I'm like, I like still find this really hard. So that's a little bit concerning, I would say. That's concerning because if it's hard for us, like if it feels inaccessible to musicians, 
that's really concerning for the wider audience. Yeah. My friend once heard a commission we did at Carnegie Hall, and she said it sounded like planes taking off at LaGuardia. Like, that's brutal. I mean, okay, I don't want to, like, totally shit on contemporary music. There's some that I do really like, but, like, when I go to see the Cleveland Orchestra, like, it's usually not my favorite piece is the one that they do that's, like, super brand new. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard, too, because, like, this last interview that I did for this was a composer friend, and obviously he's like, we need more new music and more new things, and and I... And we do, but it's, I guess, how do we balance that? Yeah, I guess, how do we balance playing the greats and how do we balance new music and how do we um, make sure that new music is also representing people of all creeds and not just more white men, as much as I love Elliot. It's like, how do we also keep that growing as well and make it better reflect a better reflection of the people of today as well and the creators of today? Yeah, I mean, I don't have the answers, but um, I did take this music history class about like the history of Broadway last year. Cool. And that I found really interesting because we talked a lot about like how Broadway is like sometimes considered like kind of like lower brow in comparison with classical music, even though like, you know, I learned about like Sondheim and Rodgers and Hammerstein and like composing a show is like one of the toughest things you can so do. So hard. Like yeah. dialogue and scenes that like interconnect like way harder than well i mean each has its own thing but i would think way harder than just writing for instruments you know what i mean but for yeah. some reason it's not considered as like high brow but i think the high brownness of classical music keeps a lot of people out agreed uh, so i mean for me i just try to like like i joined an acapella group and i love it so much we sing pop music um and it's so much more accessible just because it's like, yeah. you know, <laughs> and I also sing like Renaissance music and stuff. Such uh, a nerd. <laughs> nerd is yes. a villain, maybe besides D and D, but I love it. <laughs> I, uh, it's there is also a high barrier of entry. I would say. Yeah. I think, like shying, like not shying away from doing like popular music and stuff is really important. And like last year, Orillan has this really cool like student taught curriculum um, mm-hmm. called the Experimental College, which I really love taking a class on like biology biology of frogs and toads and like Whoa. I'm taking one about the Silmarillion right now that like prequels the Lord of the Rings. Um, oh my god. Really great part of Oberlin. Love, love, love. Yeah. Uh, but I taught one about music theory in pop music last year. Cool. And this also felt like a way because some people rightfully so criticize Oberlin for like the music theory department like if you're like in the liberal arts college and you're like i want to take a music class like theory one is not the class to take because it's not accessible at all and yeah. i was like maybe i can like try to do something and so i basically taught theory one using pop music and that i found really fun and like i think it's cool when you have that knowledge and like recognizing chord progressions oh absolutely i mean even right now like doing this tour 184 shows in and it's like this one of the things that this year has shown me is like how important it is to yeah participate in mainstream culture. I think especially as someone who like used to identify as like an elitist classical musician. I think yeah, like I think shifting into something a little more mainstream, a little bit more palatable to like anyone has been really cool. Um because all sorts of people are coming to see the show every night, like all ages, all backgrounds. A lot of them, I'm sure, don't know anything about classical music, but like everyone wants to have a good time and enjoy and laugh and see a fun show. 
And as someone who really likes community building and gatherings, that really fulfills that. And the book is really fun. And like, there are really good musicians in our band. Like we have a killing pit orchestra. So I don't know. It's been, I think, really good for me to kind of see that like high quality music can be made in settings outside of a fancy symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times they are. Yeah. Yeah, we bring it every night. Absolutely. Well, do you have any ideas about how to dismantle the shitty toxic masculinity culture in the brass section? I mean, I think we just need to give more women opportunities. Um, you know, I do love the professors at Oberlin, but of Winds Brass and Percussion, we have one female professor, and that's the flute professor. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think just seeing yourself represented is so important. And I think, like, this is broader than brass, but, like, whiteness in classical music is such an issue, too. And, like, yeah, you don't see yourself represented if you're a person of color and you play classical music. And that's, like, really tough for a lot of reasons. We touched on a lot of different yeah. reasons, too. Yep. And, like, even plugging the album that just dropped for my New York Youth Symphony, I'm so proud of it. Like, it features all commissioned works by Black female composers. Um, and everyone should check it out. I'm so, so proud of that project. But even so, 90-something percent of the orchestra is either white or East Asian. Um, and most people come from an upper-middle-class to upper-class background. So as great as the project is, and I'm so glad that we did that, I'm so honored to have like partaken in that, it's still like, okay, it also... The people on stage really matter as well. It's not just the the works that are played. It's it's all of it combined. I think representation is important. I think like I think having support systems like in college would have been really important for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the what if is the what if game is really dangerous to play. But I think about like if like people had believed me or there was like a yeah. for musicians like maybe that would have made a difference and i'm totally at peace like where i am now for the most part but like i think um i mean ever since then i've really tried to be an advocate for like people in the double degree program and like women in our department and like yeah that's a role that i really see myself being in but i did not have that necessarily yeah yeah and that's like part of why community building and playing with other people is so important to me um proud of you for paying it forward because I think it's so easy to experience something shitty and then pass it on and like pass like the resentments and being like, what I experienced wasn't fair and things aren't fair and it shouldn't be fair for anyone else. I think it's a thing for not just this kind of thing, but many like traumas or bad experiences where it's, re- I think the most incredible indicative sign of just like absolute like strength and maturity as a person is to be like, this stops with me. And like, I'm going to put in the work to be that person for other people that I wish that I had. Um, yeah, just because I think it's so easy to to be really bitter. Mm. And but I'm yeah, just proud of you. Really bitter. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's hard and um, and like hold your male friends accountable. Mm. That was something that was really hard for me. But like, yeah. I mean, they often. I, I feel like often we have to. Um, or actually, you know what I read in a. Tanahasi Coates between the world and me was like him telling his son like you have to be twice as good for like half the respect I don't remember the exact mm-hmm. quote because his son is black and like I feel like not quite the same but often there's like a higher standard of behavior that's expected of female brass players yeah and 
men, in my experience, get a, people that were socialized as men, get away with a lot more. You know what I yeah. mean? Absolutely. Uh, but like, you know, if you have friends who are men who play brass instruments, try to hold them accountable. Just a simple, like, hey, like, that's kind of weird. Or like, yeah. don't be an asshole, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like joking, uh, like quote unquote locker room talk that happens. And yeah, that do kind of point it out. I'm so appreciative of. Thank you so, so much for your time. My one last thing that I wanted um, to touch on was if you were down to kind of break something down that's musical that you are a part of to kind of make music more accessible to people who might be listening who aren't musicians and don't come from that background. I think it's really important to try to make music more accessible since there are so many barriers to entry. Mm, I took this class called Analysis and Performance at Oberlin, we, where we, um, it was a music theory class, but we really dove into the performance part of it and how we could use music theory analysis to inform our performance, which I thought was really cool. And um, the biggest things we talked about were basically to have your own opinion about the music, not necessarily what the composer intended, and oftentimes we were like, you know, fuck what the composer intended. Like, I want to do what I want to do. This is my mm-hmm. performance. And so like having a take is really important. Having your own take. When, when I was in this class, we would listen to lots of different recordings of the same piece and talk about like what different performers did. <laughs> Glenn Gould is very famous for like trying to do stuff outside the box. And often it's like super not palatable, but like nice. it was always very different and very opinionated. Yeah. Uh, and that feels more accessible like you don't have to do marches at 108 beats per minute or like whatever Mm. you know standard you know you can you can have a take yeah that's awesome um thank you so 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 much for your time this has been awesome i've been looking forward to this so much looking forward to ranting with an old friend about the shitty systems at hand and reminiscing a little bit so this has been really great